Where is a Gideon? Where is a man who'll be a leader and follow God's plan? Where is God's champion who'll be the one to stand like Gideon? I'll be that man. Well, welcome to this episode of Rend the Heavens Lorcom Down podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Moses and I'm going to be doing a, a bit of a series on men of God wanted because I believe that's where we're at. We do need a men of God. You know, recently I heard Laura Ingram, a Fox News uh, newscaster, uh, with a, a episode titled uh, Men, uh, not Men of God, sorry, uh, men want it because she sees that men, re- men acting like men is, is becoming extinct as, as women take over, you know. And uh, <clears throat> women seem to be taken over in a lot of areas, including even in the church. We now have women pastors, uh, women deacons. And like I said, I have no problem with uh, women being pastor deacons as long as they're the husband of one wife, as the Bible says so. But of course, a woman cannot be the husband of one wife, so she should not be a pastor or a deacon. That is heresy, but it's becoming more and more prevalent in um, the churches. Women are becoming leaders in the churches of, in so many areas, including uh, youth leaders. And if they're not leaders with a title, they're leaders even just by their aggression of personality. And for example, in church last Sunday, uh, I simply saw my son-in-law, and we weren't wearing the masks, which seems to be heresy today, even in churches, and approached by a woman that we should be wearing the mask because of church rules. Not by a man, but by a woman. Because this is the kind of society we're living in. We're living in what you call a, a matriarchal society instead of a patriarchal society. Matriarchal means that women are basically in control and leadership in their homes, in society, in the government, and even in churches, where they are aggressive when it comes to men and confronts them about things. Um, and I think this is wrong. But what we need is men of God. And we're going to look at Moses as an example of a man of God that, um, that is needed. So, you know, men that God has used in revival, we should always kind of look at their background and what was life like for them? What were they like before God used them in revival or in any kind of powerful way? And I think we should do that with Moses. So go to Exodus chapter 2. I'm just going to, first of all, look at verses 1 to 10 and look at Moses' background growing up. And it says in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 2, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And a woman conceived, and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein. And she laid um, it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off, to wit what we done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said the sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? And call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, 
that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him drew him out of the water. So that's Moses' childhood background. Okay, He's obviously an Israelite, and his mother tried to hide him because Pharaoh had made a decree that all the male uh, children that are born were to be killed. And so she hides him in what we call a Moses basket and puts him in the river and not knowing what's going to happen to him for sure. Sister watches from afar off and lo and behold, by divine providence, Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby and has compassion on him and decides that she's going to keep the baby for herself. And incredibly, Moses' mother ends up nursing the child and taking care of him and even be paid by Pharaoh's daughter to do so. Although Moses is Pharaoh's son in Pharaoh's daughter's eyes, I should say. This is divine providence already, even when as a young child. How come and the child wasn't eaten by some alligator crocodile in this river? Was it River Nile? I don't know. Um, but some river in Egypt um, didn't float away and die that way or something like that. Or even that Pharaoh's daughter hadn't killed. But in God's providence, uh, Moses was protected. And he becomes a son of Pharaoh's daughter. And yet Moses' mother actually is able to look after him. Of course, Pharaoh's daughter does not know that uh, uh, Moses, this is Moses' mother at all, which is just the kindness of God and what he did here for Moses' mother. You can imagine the heartbreak of this mother, putting him in the basket, thinking they'll probably never see him again, and she's able to actually rear her child in the court of Pharaoh. Well, that's his background, but, you know, God has his hand upon you from a young age, even before you're saved. And... Um, Never forget that, no matter what circumstances, God uh, was there, uh, keeping you, protecting you, even in the bad situations. It's never a waste of time. God is up to something. And we see that in Moses as a young boy. Then we'll go on from verses 11 to 15, and we're going to see that things go bad for Moses. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian, smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sands. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? And tellest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Wow, what a, a story here. So Moses is now a grown man and he sees um, an Egyptian hitting um, and attacking a Hebrew, an Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian. Notice he didn't kill the Israelites, even though Moses grows up in Egypt's court. He kills the Egyptian not to Israelites. Now he murders him, and certainly that, that's not God's will. Uh, God certainly never told him to do that. But that's what Moses did because he obviously identified himself as an Israelite, which I believe goes back to his godly mother and probably father too, of course. 
um, that she would teach him you are an Israelite a special people God has a great promise for us he's going to give us our own land one day little did she know or Moses know it was going to be in her very generation that uh, God would take the people of Israel out of Egypt by his mighty hand but that he's going to use Moses but this is uh, things going wrong here Moses murders the Egyptian that was not God's will God is certainly going to use Moses but not this way so we can take things into our own hands and believe God is this is God's will uh, not necessarily necessarily so a lot of times we make a mess of things when we do things our own way you may do it out of a love for the Lord or his word but you can do it the wrong way you can do it in the flesh with the wrong spirit wrong attitude I don't know things like that and uh, you can make a mess of things boy have I done that so many times even recently where I do things with my own wisdom take things into my own hands and end up being embarrassed and having to say sorry and all kind of things and just making a mess of things um, and of course that's what Moses did here okay so now let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 and we saw that Moses end up in Midian uh, where is Midian now, chapter 3 of Exodus, verse, uh, verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 to 6. Then Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. That means way out in the middle of nowhere. And came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burnt with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Wouldn't you? And when the Lord saw, sorry, when the Lord, Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So here's Moses in Moses in the backside of the desert. What a come down from being a prince of Pharaoh in his court, in his palaces, with all servants doing his bidding. Um, he could have all life's luxuries and pleasures. And he ends up here in the backside of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. You could say that Moses was in a wilderness. And he was. He was in the wilderness. And God will often do this. The men that he wants to use, he'll take them into a wilderness to get their attention. And of course, God did get Moses' attention. Of course, with the burning bush that was not um, being burnt up as the way. It was, uh, it was on fire, but it wasn't burning. And But God did get and Moses' attention and God revealed himself to Moses for the first time when he said I am the God of thy father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and when Moses saw this the Bible said he hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God he's in the presence of God and now let me tell you this is another study another message the men that God uses have to have a personal experience with God I don't mean a literal sight of God with your eyes but a spiritual awakening as it were in the presence of God and any man that God has used, um, that is the case, God has always uh, done this. God has called Moses here in the backside of the desert, um, in the middle of nowhere. So, let's go now to Acts chapter 7, as it gives us more details um, about Moses' life here in 
the early years particularly here, okay? And um, Acts chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 17 to 25. And I might make some comments as I go along here, okay? So Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 17. Now this is Stephen here, um, elected deacon. This is going to be his one and only message he's going to preach before he dies. Um, that's a message itself, what a man of God Stephen was. And this is the message he preached. And he's given the Jews here a history lesson here to show them that Christ Jesus was the Messiah that was promised to come. And in verse 17, um, he says here, Stephen, but when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God has sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, talking about Israel, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and even entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Again, that's why Moses' mother had to hide uh, her son in the basket because all male boys were to die. Verse 20. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came upon his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptians. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So again, Moses had a great upbringing, as we've already learned. Um, he was nourished up in Pharaoh's court. And it says in verse 22 that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. Moses was a great man in Egypt. Uh, he was intelligent. The, the Egyptians were known for their, their intelligence, their engineering, their science, their building. You know, the Israelites, as slaves, had to build Ramesses and Python, these two cities in, in Egypt. You know, they were very intelligent people, very prosperous, a very powerful uh, people. And Moses was, you know, some people believe that Moses was maybe would have been fair one day had he stayed there. But, uh, but he didn't, of course. But what a background. Um, Moses was set for life. He really was. Moses uh, was set for life. But then it talks about how he killed the Egyptian. And verse 25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but he understood not. Moses killed the Egyptian, and, but the Israelites uh, did not accept him as a leader. Um, because Moses did things his own way, not God's way. You know, he felt, well, look, I killed an Egyptian. Surely I should be a hero. Surely you would accept me as a leader. But no, that's not it. Because it wasn't God's way. And it wasn't um, God's timing either, you know. This is um, very, very important. Now, let's go to now Hebrews chapter um, 11 here. The chapter of fate, as it's, as, as it's called. And we'll get more detail about Moses here. Because again, we're looking at... Uh, the title Men of God Wanted. What kind of men of God are we talking about? What is God looking for? And we can see this, we're going to see one example from Moses himself. So Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So, 
Isn't this incredible that Moses is grow, grows up in Egypt in, as Pharaoh's son, basically, and um, could have been the next prince or Pharaoh of Egypt, but he refuses that, okay? Moses basically rejected the world's success here. He could have, he could have been set up for life and been a powerful man in the most powerful country and empire of the known world at that time. But it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I don't believe he was being rude to um, this surrogate mother, as it were. Um, he does not want to be known as an Egyptian. He knows he's an Israelite. Because I believe his mother taught him so growing up. You are an Israelite, God's special people. And God has promised us he's going to give us our own land one day. And it's, it's going to happen. And again, it's going to happen with Moses as the leader. So here Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejects the world's success and temptations. Then it goes on to say in verse 25, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Wow. Moses rather, chose rather to suffer with his people than to enjoy all the pleasures of being Pharaoh's son and being even the next Pharaoh himself. What a choice he took. Um, and here we see Moses identifying with his people. He, he would rather suffer with them. You know, he ends up in the backside of a desert in the wilderness because of that attitude. But again, I believe he had a godly mother um, that influenced him here. How often we see that in the Bible. Um, we saw that with Hezekiah. He had a godly mother that protected him and he became a godly king that led a revival in Second Chronicles chapter 29 that I, um, if you haven't heard that message, is called Hezekiah, the Revival King. And there's a second part of that message as well, um, as you'll see. Um, so he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. I think that's amazing, Did to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Folks, sin is pleasurable. That's why we do it. Most, a lot of sin is. Sexual sin is pleasurable. Um, this the sin of 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 greed and success and money is pleasurable. Even the sin of being angry and revengeful people, it feels good to do that. But then comes the consequences of that anger and that bitterness, where you hurt people and even kill them, and split up families and cause church splits because of that. So sin is pleasurable for a season. It is, but it's only for a season. You know, we're in winter now, but it's only for a season. It's not going to last. Seems like it does for Irish people forever, but it's not. It will pass. And sin is pleasurable. God says so, but it's only for a season. And Moses knew that. And he said he'd rather suffer with the people of God. Here we see Moses identifying with the people. And it goes on to say, He is esteeming, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Here's a man in the Old Testament looking to the glories of heaven. Here's a man who's living for eternity. He also knows not only is sin only a pleasure for a season, it's only for a short time compared, but he sees that the rewards of living for God, of serving him, is far greater than the pleasure of sin for a season. The rewards is so much greater. And all our affliction, the Bible says, that we suffer is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us, the reward that awaits you. There's a reward day coming for the people of God. It's a type of judgment seat, as it were. It's not a judgment about whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's already settled if you're saved, you're in God's book of life. But everything you do will go through God's test and fire. It will either come out wood, hay and stubble, which means useless, nothing, or will come out silver and gold. Well, I don't know about you, but I want my life to count for silver and gold. A lot of it has not. 
a lot of it's been wood, hay and stubble. Not all of it, but I want to end where my life counts for eternity. And that's the way Moses' attitude was. He saw that sin, yeah, it is pleasurable, but also brings death. The wage of sin is death, right? Um, and it's only for a certain small time. Compared to eternity, it is nothing. Moses was looking to the Lord that God would reward him far greater than any pleasure of sin could. Well, now, I think that's amazing. And that's the kind of men of God we're looking for, who have the same kind of attitude that living for God is far greater than living for the pleasure of sin for a season, you know? And of course, we know that God used Moses in a powerful way, didn't he? He was used to stand before Pharaoh. Um, and, and, you know, of course, at the age of 80, um, you know, when he killed the Egyptian, he was 40 years of age. But God didn't call him at the burning bush until he was 80. And go stand before a world dictator, a tyrant, Pharaoh, and tell him to let my people go. You know, you don't do that even if you're 20 years of age normally to a, a, a dictator, unless God tells you. Okay? And by the way, if God tells you to go to, say, North Korea to be a missionary, and you stay here in Ireland, you know, you're in more danger staying here in Ireland than you would be if you went to North Korea. Because going to North Korea would be God's will if he said so. Staying here in Ireland would not be God's will. So you can hide from God's will. You can keep living for yourself and be afraid of what man can say or do. But you'll, you'll not have God's blessing. And you're actually in more danger out of God's will. Don't, don't miss God's will, no matter how dangerous it is. Because God will be with you. God, if God has sent you, God will be with you. God will give you the grace. He did that with Moses. He was only 80 years, he was, sorry, 80 years of age when God called him to go to, to Pharaoh. And he did. And Pharaoh never laid a finger on him. And God uses Moses for these ten plagues that destroyed all the false gods in Egypt who had no control over all these things. By the way, uh, it's God who has control over the climate as we saw with one of the, some of the plagues in Egypt. Remember the hailstones, stuff like that? God's in control of the climate, not man. What arrogance to say that they're going to control the world temperature. Uh, no, you're, no, you're not. If you look at the book, of, uh, the Revelation, sorry, the tribulation period, which is coming soon after the Lord comes, God's going to bring great climatic changes uh, to the climate and it's God who's going to do it, not man. But anyway, that's a side note, you know. And then God so used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and then they brought them to the Red Sea where uh, the Egyptian uh, soldiers were coming behind uh, Moses and the people of Israel. They were trapped because the Red Sea was before them. The Egyptians were behind them and on the left-hand side, the right-hand side, there were two mountain ranges. Um, I think one was called Pyrrhaeroth and one was called Mount Zephom or something like that, or Zephom. Um, they were trapped, the people of Israel. And yet God, Moses said to the people of Israel, stand and see the salvation of God. And the Red Sea opened. But you, you know, if you read that story in Exodus, God never told Moses he was going to open up the Red Sea. When Moses said to the people, stand and see the salvation or deliverance of God. Moses believed God was going to do something. He just didn't know what. And what did God do? He opened up the Red Sea no man has ever seen that before or since. Absolutely incredible. Well, if you don't include Joshua crossing over the River Jordan, right? But this is a, a sea body here, and God did it. And Moses knew he was going to do it. And then God, uh, of course, brought Moses um, and the people into the wilderness and to uh, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, where he gave him the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. Oh, wow. Man, that is something to think about. Wouldn't you like God to speak to you face to face as a man speaks to his friend? 
This is how intimate Moses was with God. I mean, God tells us that God, God himself says to us in the scripture that he spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses didn't say that. God said that. Wow. So clearly Moses was a man of God, a man that forsook the pleasures of sin for a season. Okay. Now, we have a great example of Moses' heart for the people of Israel because and how he identified with them. And it's in Exodus chapter 32. Israel had made a golden calf while Moses was up uh, communi- communion, uh, communicating with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. They made a golden calf, didn't they? And Moses is livid, but, but no more than God is because this is wicked idolatry. And God says in verse 7 of chapter 32 of Exodus, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now remember, people, this is God's people have done this, not, not the lost worlds. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. God's going to destroy all of Israel, and start off with Moses. That's what God just said, because of their idolatry. And let me tell you, Christian, the church is full of idolatry today. You're not bound down to a golden calf, no, but you're bound down to uh, music rock stars, including Christian ones, um, bound down to sports stars, movie stars, bound down to the fear of man, wanting to be liked by man, not be rejected by him, so you won't say certain things publicly. We see that with the whole coronavirus, scandemic as I call it, and fear mongering and the vaccines, which are killing people by the thousands and giving serious injury by the thousands. It's obvious, it's clear. It's on the CDC website, as I mentioned before, and they're just denying, oh, no connection with the vaccines. The church is silent because the church is afraid. The church is weak. The church wants the approval of man. It doesn't want to be unpopular for the most part. But there are exceptions. And certainly Moses was one of them. But God was going to destroy all of Israel for their idolatry. Imagine imagine these people bound down to a, a, a golden calf that they made with their own hands saying, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. What blasphemy. Can't you see why God would be angry? His, his holy righteousness. Remember, God's anger is not like man's anger. Our anger a lot of times is sinful. God's anger is never sinful. It's holy. It's righteous. And he was going to destroy all of Israel. And he said to Moses, I'm going to destroy them all and begin with you. All by yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but if Moses said that to me, he's going to... Or sorry, not Moses. If God said to me, I'm going to destroy all the, ch- the, the church you're going to, wherever, for example, and I'm going to start off with you. I mean, it'd be very hard not to get proud, wouldn't it? Wow, he's going to just, he's going to destroy everybody else except me. You know, it'd be very hard not to get proud, wouldn't it? But not with Moses. Let's see Moses' response to what God just said. He's going to destroy them. Here Moses intercedes. Verse 11 of chapter 32 of Exodus. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does, does thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians uh, speak and say, for mischief 
did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest or promised by thine own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed or your children as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed or children and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented, changed his mind of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Did you see that? God changed his mind because of the pleading of one mortal man, Moses. He was going to destroy all of Israel and start off with Moses. And again, instead of Moses being full of pride and selfishness, he pleads for God not to do that. He pleads for God not to do it. And what does he say? Because Egyptians will speak about all this and say, you, you, you're, you're, uh, the Israel God is no better than the Egyptian God. You couldn't preserve them in the wilderness. It'll be a terrible testimony. And let me tell you, when God's people fall away, when they fall into sin, when they live like the world, act like the world and think like the world, it is a terrible testimony to the world because we're meant to be different. And yet there's so little difference these days between how Christians live, how Christians act, talk, dress, what they want, what they talk about, then the world. And Moses knows this and he pleads with God, do not destroy them, Lord. Your, your testimony, I'd say, and not to mention your promise what you said to Abraham, Isaac and, and Israel or Jacob um, that you'll multiply their seed, their children as the stars of heaven. God, you've got to keep your promise because God cannot break his promises, can he? And God changed his mind. He repented of the evil he was going to do. He did not destroy the people of Israel because of Moses interceding, because of Moses' unselfish prayer, because Moses loved his people. He identified with them as we saw from the start. That's why he killed the Egyptian. It was wrong to do it because he loved the people of Israel. But it wasn't God's way. So God had to wait till he was 80 years of age, didn't he? To see himself humbled. And when God called Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, me? I, I can't do it. What a change of attitude to this proud man who killed an Egyptian. Hey, look what I've done. The people will like me for this. I'll be a hero. I killed an Egyptian who was hurting them. them. Um... His attitude has totally changed. He says, I can't do it. I don't have the tongue to speak and all this kind of stuff. You know, because God has brought him into the wilderness to see him humbled. He had too much of Egypt in him, too much of the world in him. And God had to bring him down a peg or two. And we see now at this stage of Moses' life how unselfish he is today, at this time, where God said, I'm going to destroy the people of Israel and start again with you. And Moses said, please, Lord, don't do that, Lord, for your mercy's sake, for your name's sake, for the promises, your promise's sake, Lord, don't do it. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And it does say his people. You know, you'll notice that I keep bringing this up in the, my podcast. These podcasts is for God's people. This is not for the world. The world needs a church revived. The world needs men of God like Moses to be raised up for the church. God is speaking to his people um, in these things. God wants his people who are called by his name to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. That's what he says to God's people. God was going to destroy his people here. He was not going to destroy the Egyptians 
um, as a nation. He was not going to destroy the Assyrians, the Babylonians or whatever else. He does speak to them in later prophets, but he makes it clear who he's talking to. But he's talking to his people here who are committing this idolatry. God was going to destroy them. I believe that the church is under judgment today in these last days of the church age. Just like God judged Judah and Israel in their last days too and the nation became extinct for two and a half thousand years. And you see the nation of Judah particularly getting weaker and weaker and weaker and more idolatrous and God finally destroys them in the days of the prophet Jeremiah and the last king of Judah, Zedekiah. And he warned that this was coming but they would not listen. You know, they would not listen. But even you read the book of Jeremiah, how he pleaded for God. And God did listen to that pleading. But eventually God said, it's too late now. I'm going to destroy this place. I'm going to destroy this people. Um, I'm going to destroy it. And he did for two and a half thousand years. It, not until 1948 did Israel become a nation again. Now it's a nation today that is wicked, that is pagan. Uh, does not know the Lord for the most part. But it's a nation that God's going to rule from, from for 1,000 years with Jesus Christ himself after the seven year tribulation it's very clear in the scripture what a promise but they were judged but the point here is God was going to destroy the nation at this stage even before they went into the promised land because of their wicked idolatry but Moses said please Lord please Lord don't do it what a man of God that is that's what a man of God sounds like please don't have mercy to your people Lord Many pastors will you hear praying like that, have mercy to your people for their idolatry. Please, Lord, don't judge the church, Lord. Please, God, forgive us, Lord. Please revive us. That's what we need. We need men like Moses. We really do. Of course, there's more than just, uh, there's more, more people like Moses in the Bible, which we'll, we'll look at, Lord will, in the future. But what a man of God Moses was. What a heart he had for his own people. Absolutely amazing. Let me read you this little um, illustration here about a man called William Burns back in the 19th century from Scotland. William Burns was a man that God used in at least two revivals in a place called Kilsit where he grew up in and a place called Dundee in Scotland. Two great revivals God used them and then God sent him off to China to be a missionary when he was older and, he had a, and then uh, he met uh, Hudson Taylor who started the China in a mission and Hudson Taylor tells that William Burns was a great influence upon Hudson Taylor in his young missionary life. He was just a great man of God. But again, like I said at the start, what were these men of God? What are they, I always like to know, what are these men of God like? Or what were they like before God used them? Because you can get a lot of hope from that because sometimes you have similar backgrounds. You know, were they always born with a spiritual spoon as it were in their mouth? No, not at all. And certainly Moses was. And we saw he, what he did with the Egyptian by killing him. That wasn't God's way for him to be a leader or to be a, a deliverer. No. Um, so I always like to find out what were these people like why did God use William Bourne like this and we get a picture of William Bourne uh, as a very young man what he was like and it says here William Bourne at the age of 17 went with his mother from the quiet town of Kilsit to the bustling city of Glasgow, Scotland they were separated at some point and his mother searched for her son finding him in an alleyway with great tears streaming down his face what's wrong with him she could see how he was suffering great agony. His surprised mother exclaimed, Willie, my boy, what ailed you? Are you ill? Oh, mother, mother, he cried. The thud or the noise of these Christless feet on the way to hell breaks my heart. Wow. The great crowds of humanity had stirred him to his deepest depths. depths. One morning, near the age of 20, three years later, 
he approached his mother at breakfast time and told her that through the night he had prayed. Did you hear that? Through the night, not just a few minutes or an hour, through the night he had prayed and he said to his mother, tonight God gave me Scotland. God used him in two great revivals in Scotland. God did give him Scotland. He, he prayed through the night for this. He obviously believed that God does answer prayer. But here was a man who identified with the Scottish people, a Scotsman himself, a, a believer. At the age of 17, how many teenagers do you know would pray and be upset and, have t- and, and tears in their eyes because they see the lost realm going to hell? How many do you know Christians like that? I know not one. But that's what William Burns was like. A man who identified with his people, just like Moses did, in tears because all he could think of, the people are going to go to hell or God do something. And then at the age of 20, he prays through the night and God answers him. And God told him, I'm going to give you Scotland. I'm going to answer your prayers. I'm going to give you two great revivals. Because William Burns was unselfish, just like Moses. Yes, <clears throat> the Scottish people were wicked. Just like the Israelites were wicked when God was going to strike them. But there was an intercessor, a man who loved the people, who interceded, who identified with the people. You know, the Irish people are wicked people. I hate to say it as an Irishman, but they really are. I remember I had a car business many years ago during the Tiger Boom. And the people that I dreaded the most phoned me up about the cars were the Irish people. They were so rude, so obnoxious and filthy with their language on the phone, especially when I didn't give them the deal they wanted. And I had to say that I found it more pleasurable and easier to deal with the Filipinos as customers to buy my cars and, and Polish people and Nigerians even. But for the most part, not all, I dreaded dealing with the Irish people. And you know, the Irish people are hard against the gospel. They're hard against the church. They're hard against God's word. They're blasphemous. And it's been like this for centuries. I know I have a friend whose father was preaching down in Limerick and the parish priest uh, gave the nod to a couple of uh, a mob of men to beat him up and they did and he had injuries in his stomach till the day that he died a few years ago and you hear these stories all the time where God was using uh, great men like John Wesley in England and in America and the fate mission in Scotland and, and England as well and they would come to Ireland and get beaten up and resisted and it's like that to this very day. They're so hard against the gospel. They're so self-righteous. They're so proud. And I'm not just talking about Roman Catholics either. Look how proud they are even today. Now the new virtue is if you're for the vaccines, you're great. And if you're not, you're bad. And if you're for homosexuality, you're good. And if you're not, you're bad, you're evil. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's from a human heart, it's hard to love the Irish people. And yet that's what God is looking for. A man who identifies. Uh, next time, we will look at the Apostle Paul, who certainly identified with the Israelites, both saved and unsaved. But I don't know about you, but I don't have the heart for the Irish people yet. And I don't have the heart for the church, but I want to. Because this is the only way to be able to identify with the people, to sympathise them, to cry out to God, to have mercy upon the church. It's worthiness, it's idolatry, it's unbelief, it's hardness, it's all these things. It's, it's all true. And I am top of the pile. I want to let you know I'm in a spiritual wilderness. God has put me here and I cannot get out a day earlier than God allows me to be out. God had Moses in a spiritual wilderness. Even the Apostle Paul, as we'll see, was in Arabia in a wilderness for three years too. God does this on purpose because 
He has to get a place where he gets our attention, where we can hear his voice and know his will and do things his way, where he gets the world out of us, where he gets self out of us, the world's wisdom and ways out of us. And where we realize, just like Moses did, I can't do this, Lord, I can't do it. And God will say, I know you can't. That's exactly what I want to hear you say. Now I can use you. We need a Moses. Men of God, we need a Moses. Could you be one? It's not a place of pride, remember. It's a place of humility, of on your face. We need men that will pray through the night like William Burns for Ireland or for or even for your own country, but certainly for Ireland. We need men like that. Men who can, with tears in their eyes as they see the loss, march to hell even faster than ever. 150,000 people die every single day in the world. Two people every second. And I would venture to say that most of them are going to hell. And it seems like the church is powerless in today's world, certainly the church in Ireland. But I believe that can change. If we had a Moses that would intercede for, first of all, our own people, the church, and then for the lost. God is looking for such a person, I believe, today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this message. It's been speaking to me, Lord, uh, well before I spoke today. I want to be a Moses, Lord. I want to be an intercessor, Lord. I want to be able to have the same heart for my lost Irish people and a heart for the church. Lord, I don't want to stay in this wilderness just like nobody does. Lord, please use me soon. Please bring me to a place where you can use me, where I can have a heart like Moses, like William Burns and people like that. I'm asking you, Lord, to raise up such men who are listening to this podcast. Stir them, Lord, to the depths of their soul. Give them no rest. Give them sleepless nights, Lord. God, we need men of God raised up so badly. Please do it, Lord, for your mercy's sake. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Please share these podcasts with others. Um, when you listen on Spotify or Anchor.fm, if you click um, follow, you will get notifications when a, a, a new podcast comes through. I'm trying to do this for the glory of God. Um, and like I said to my son-in-law recently, I'm hoping that God will raise up at least one man, a man of God, um, that will be a deliverer for the church in this country. Um, maybe... Maybe he's listening, maybe not. I don't know. So again, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless.